That was the J cut, and this is the K cut. James here. I produce and release music under the A.S. Boutique Paul, one half of the Piranha Today podcast. I sometimes contribute to Films Fatale, and my primary interests are no-budget indie cinema and 70 cinema, and we are back with our first brand new episode since the last Smorgasbord. Who's here with me? I'm Rachel. I love classic movies, lost films, and international cinema. I also write for Films Fatale sometimes, even though my column's currently on a summer hiatus. Hello, this is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. I love art house and international cinema, but I also like a little bit of everything in between. And welcome back to one of our monthly editions of the Cinematic Smorgasbord. So if you are new, welcome, welcome. The way that this works is... In case you in case you missed it, we just discussed our different tastes in cinema, and we basically recommend a film to the other co-host, something that we have not seen before. Uh, furthermore, we all three of us watch a film that we have not seen before, and uh, for this episode, that film was Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight, so you can look forward to that in the second portion of the episode. But first off, we're going to get into our individual assignments. So I recommended something to James, James recommended something to Rachel, and Rachel recommended something to me. And we're going to go into our findings. So who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay, what were you recommended? I was recommended Grey's Anatomy, also by Steven Soderbergh. It has nothing to do with the television show, the same name. It is basically a... Uh, Wikipedia even called it a concert film, and I think this was a really great pick for me because I love theater, and this film is essentially theater. It's a very long monologue about an eye condition from the actor Spalding Gray, who is very famous for doing really long, strange monologues. And this was a fun ride because it goes to really unexpected places, and Gray is just compelling throughout, which is not easy when you're basically the only person in about an hour and a half of film. And I just really enjoyed the whole thing. Um, It's very odd, but it's a good one. Yeah, it's a very interesting watch, uh, considering that... uh, So, more specifically, he's dealing with what's called a macular pucker. Mm -hmm. And it's a dramatization of something he actually went through. Yes, and they also have appearances from people randomly describing medical conditions at different parts of the thing, but the focus is grey. And I couldn't believe how he held attention for so long. And his stories, first he decide, he is going to have surgery maybe, and then he second guesses himself. And it's the 90s, so he's trying all these new age treatments, which are hilarious the way he describes them. And I would call this more of a Spalding Gray movie than a Steven Soderbergh movie, because the director, even though this does require good direction, I felt that wasn't the point of the film. It was really an actor's movie. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was definitely something that was more centered around him. I think as far as direction goes, I really enjoyed their use of set design and camera movement in this movie. Because, and lighting. Oh, yeah. And lighting. And because it's literally just, you know, I don't even think he actually stands up and walks through any of it. It's just him sitting in different settings and just kind of him talking about all the things he did and just different set pieces. And then sometimes, you know, you have dialogue overlap after he finishes one line and it goes into something else. And I don't, it it does a good job of keeping you interested because of everything that's happening all at once. Exactly. Like if it just been him in a theater, I think it still would have worked, but it wouldn't have been quite as visually captivating. Also, I really enjoy the score by Cliff Martinez. Yeah, that was pretty good. The touches of music really added to kind of each bit of dialogue that it appeared in. Mm-hmm. It's a very revealing, insightful piece, and I just thought it was really good. Andreas, did you get around to it? 
Unfortunately, no. Um, but that's okay. I didn't watch your movie either. <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, you also didn't have to. Um, but Soderbergh is somebody where I've been wanting to get around to at least the bulk of his work for a while. I've been familiar with like quite a bit. You know, you can you can you could have seen like fifteen Soderbergh films and still not even seen anywhere close to half of his filmography. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, so I'm not surprised to hear something that's completely different than what we talked about the last Morgasport, uh, his indie film Schizopolis, uh, completely different from my personal favorite of his traffic, completely different from the film that we watched for this episode out of sight. I mean, the guy's really all over the board and capable of so many things. So I'm not surprised that he did such a unique experiment and it sounds like he did it actually quite decently. He also did a documentary about Gray after his death, which I have not seen, but I'm very interested in it now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember he did that. That's uh, that's actually also part of the Criterion Collection, so it might be on the Criterion channel. Cool. Because he, he's got a number of films in the collection. I also like that this is a movie he did during a break from production for Schizopolis. Like, he had a break and was like, all right, I'll just shoot this and then go back to finishing this other movie. Because, you know, he just never stops working. Yeah, the, the man, I cannot believe how much range he has and how much he manages to produce. Oh, yeah. Even during his retirement, he didn't completely retire. He did that show, The Nick, and did two seasons of it. So it was like he didn't actually retire. It was just from features until a few years later. Yeah, dude is prolific. Yeah, so it was a good pick, and I'm really glad you suggested it because it really was a theatrical movie that I quite enjoyed. Oh, yeah, that's why I definitely try to find films that are like really my thing but have the sensibilities that appeal to everyone else because I was like... Rachel's in the theater. Let's give her Grey's Anatomy. Or it's like with Schizopolis. So like, uh, Andres is into weird stuff. Let's let's throw that his way. <laughs> you know yeah, it well. was perfect. Alrighty. Well, uh, if that's what you recommended to Rachel, James, what were you recommended by uh, me? Actually, it's been so long, I don't even remember. <laughs> it was one of your oh, wow. faves. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Oh, uh, actually, I, I do remember now, yes. <laughs> but, oh, yes. I was... Uh, given the Stanley Donen classic charade. Oh my God. Okay. Well, how was it? This movie? I absolutely loved it. This yes. is one of, this is one of the great screenplays. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Please. Uh, indulge the film some more. Cause I personally adore so, this film. It's like one of my favorite escapist films. Obviously Audrey Hepburn is an absolute treasure in this movie. Just, you know, it's, it's not hard to see why she's so beloved by film lovers, but just the way this kind of has this really interesting topsy turvy narrative where you don't know where it's going. It goes in one direction, then it shifts. And then there's another reveal that kind of like kind of negates what was happening prior. And then it just keeps escalating and escalating. And then once you get to then, like even the very ending, I still was like, wait, hold on. What? It's like just the twists and turns and, Oh, the dialogue was great. The pacing was great. Uh, just the situations in general. You know, I, I'm i really appreciating the kind of era right before 70s hit. Because uh, what was the other movie that we watched that had uh, Audrey Hepburn in it? Wait, I can't remember dark. what it's called. That's yes, one. that one. That, that was almost a similar thing where it's like it kind of takes it takes noir in a direction that you really don't expect it to. Like, it's not quite a parody of it, but it does it in a way that definitely kind of reaches for a different audience than the, like the typical audience that likes these movies. Yeah. It's a bit of a genre buster. 
Oh, I wouldn't even say it's a bit of one. I would say it's my all-time favorite example of it. Now, when I say it's the greatest ever on an objective level, I don't know. That's a bit tricky because you've got some fantastic um, filmmakers who bend genres all the time. Like over Korea, you have Park Chan-woo and Bong Joon-ho. Um, you've also got Tarantino, who I would argue does that for a living. Um but I would still say that this film is one of my favorite examples of it. On a more subjective level, it is my favorite example because you have a straight-up romantic film easily between Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn's characters. Um, Cary Grant, whose name I shall not reveal <laughs> in case you haven't seen the film. Um, he's always Cary Grant, though, let's be real. Yeah, that's true. Even even when he's like old and gray, he's still, he's still Cary Grant. Um, so it's a, it's a romantic film. It's also a screwball comedy, and I feel like that's a genre that's just dying to come back. And, you know, it hasn't really outside of like a couple of examples, but here is like one of my favorite examples outside of the prime of that genre. And then you have a straight up legitimate murder mystery thriller type situation where this has been equated to as being the, um, the greatest Hitchcockian film that Hitchcock himself didn't make. Now that's a tough title and I didn't come up with that myself. I don't recall who did, but um, I could see why. So it's never like the murders themselves actually feel silly or goofy because it's a silly film. It's hilarious, but then it's also legitimately dark at times and like actually interesting. Like, okay, hold up. Who's the actual killer here? And it keeps you guessing right until the end. It's also funny because Stanley Donan was mostly known for musicals and really light affairs. So, Yeah, because he worked with Audrey Hepburn before on Funny Face. And uh, he's more well known for his co-directing work with Gene Kelly for Singing in the Rain specifically. But I feel like Charade is one opportunity where he could really go the distance. And that's the thing. As much as this is a genre-bending film... None of this feels like what he was doing with his musicals. Not even the romantic parts, I would argue. Like, this is completely its own thing, aside from those other two films I just mentioned. The way this film went, it was like a game of cat and mouse, but the cat's really the mouse, and the mouse isn't actually a mouse. If that makes sense. Yes. It's really hard to describe it without spoiling it, hey? (laughs) Oh, yeah. it's, It's so hard because... It just goes all over the place. I will say, though, it has this thing that I wouldn't say is a problem. It has a similar thing with Cary Grant being opposite Audrey Hepburn. It's almost like James Stewart and Vertigo. I think he was just a little slightly too old, but no one else could have played him. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else is new in Hollywood? <laughs> but like, well, yeah. yeah. What else is new is right, but this role specifically did garner a lot of uh, criticism, which is saying a lot because this was during the height of the, these mismatched ages in Hollywood. But even then, back in the sixties, uh, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, I think Harry Grant a little too old." So, like, you know, it, you know, there's a huge gap in age when that happens. But I mean, he's just I, better with the other Hepburn. That's all. No, nah, I mean, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's a discussion for another day um i can't i can't necessarily say you're wrong because i mean philadelphia story we don't I'm really just messing with you bud we don't really need to say more but um yeah i mean i 
I love what goes on here, and I feel like their goofy chemistry and everything. So this film holds a dear place in my heart because I actually suffer from insomnia and sleep apnea, but specifically for this, insomnia. And because it's actually one of the very few films, like um, Night of the Living Dead, which have copyright loopholes, they're technically legal to watch anywhere, including YouTube. So when I would have like these insomniac spells and I could barely like walk or get out of bed, I would just grab my phone put this on even though i own this on blu-ray criterion shout out um i would just watch it on my phone and try to get back to sleep but because it's just such great escapism it would almost work so i have seen this film i don't know how many times that i could actually recite parts verbatim so amazing (laughs) so overall i thought it was great and it's just it's it just it's proof it's like boobies are if you have a good screenplay you're in for a good time and this is just one of those great ones yeah, especially its whole thing with uh, screwball comedies and its brilliant dialogue. Like, I, I, just to prove my point, uh, the very beginning, because I've seen the beginning at least a hundred times, uh, you know, a little boy with what looks like a pistol, but it's actually a water gun, sprays Audrey Hepburn in the face. She goes, don't tell oh, me, yeah. don't tell me you didn't think it was loaded. Susie, the boy's mom, uh, she comes over and she delivers the first line. Can't you get him to do something productive like start an avalanche or something? That that as soon as I heard that opening line, I was like, okay, this is going to be genius, and I was right. That wasn't even close to being the best line, but I was hooked immediately the first time I watched the film because of that opener. All right, Andreas, what were you assigned? So not nearly as funny. Um, actually, definitely quite a, not funny. <laughs> quite a dark film, I would argue. Um, what we have here is. Uh, what looks like a festival darling and an international favorite of the year 2016. This is Sami blood by Amanda Cornell. It's a tale of the stripping of one's heritage and roots to try and fit in, but at the same time losing their own identity. It's a very powerful kind of upsetting film. It gave me a lot of uh, Mikhail or sorry, Michael Haneke vibes. Also Bresson vibes, especially when it comes to like the whole idea of the, uh, the the shattering of the coming of age film um this is certainly not a pleasant one not one full of discovery but one full of the quite opposite um you know the realization that life is actually quite unforgiving at times and oh rachel yeah i know to me it's just it was just brilliant um i have a long relationship with this film i first saw so originally the parts where she's older were a short film, so I actually saw it at Skabmogovat, and then uh, later went to see the full film at TIFF, not knowing that it was the expanded version of this short film. And I actually got to meet Amanda Cornell there, which was very exciting. But yeah, immediately it struck me. I think the strongest part of the film is the performance from the young woman in the lead. If she wasn't as good as she was, this movie would not work. The, um, it's divided in two, so in some part she's an old lady, and in some part she's a young child. And yeah, the the younger actress is just phenomenal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, definitely the bouncing back and forth between the different time periods, let's say. You know, you have uh, a young actress and... I I don't mean to sound mean when I say that a lot of younger performers are kind of given a grain of salt because they're young. That doesn't necessarily you know give you the the right to do a bad performance this was a great performance and i feel like uh when i say that i'm like genuine about it because i wouldn't sugarcoat it um so you're seeing this this young adolescent 
basically being shaped into this traumatized geriatric figure when we cut to the 78-year-old version of the same character. And you could see one is somebody who's already been broken for decades and how that has lingered for the majority of her life and it all stemmed from such a young age. It's actually quite heartbreaking. Yeah, uh, for those who don't know the premises, um, she is one of the Sami people of northern Sweden, Finland, Norway, and Denmark, an area called, or, and Russia, an area called Satni. And during the 30s, much like what happened in Canada and the United States, a lot of the young people were forcibly taken to government-run schools, very much like residential schools. And so this is a young woman who is going through that story. Um, and even though the character is fictional, the story, mo- much of this happened to actual kids. So... Which is just heartbreaking. It's a type of story where, um, you know, you brought up the residential school system. That's something which devastates me that, you know, you know, you and I grew up in, in the Canadian school system. We certainly were not taught that sort of thing when we were children. And, oh, I was, but anyway, yeah, oh, it's not were. taught enough. Okay. No, I, where I was, I wasn't. And, um, now it's being talked about everywhere, and so many people for over the last 10 years are realizing, oh my god, this is something that has happened, and I feel like there aren't enough films or stories, especially from yesteryear, that were discussing this sort of a thing. So, of course, you're going to get filmmakers, uh, blistering breakthrough um, filmmakers like Amanda Cornell, who are talking about this thing now, because, oh, what, a, what an ugly side of history in so many different nations. And she lays it out really starkly, like, um, it's very matter-of-fact about what happens in the movie, and it's beautifully shot, I would say. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's, it's shot really well, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that this is, like, maybe, like, a lower-budgeted film or anything, because they utilize all of their limited spaces and all of their... Um, you know, it's a brief runtime, uh, small cast, but you just would never really pick up on that because you're just kind of gutted the entire film. Like you're either heartbroken or you're just like left on the edge of your seat. Just like, I can't believe what I'm watching. Yeah. Did you get around to it, James? No, this is actually the first film since I started watching everyone's assignments that I actually missed this one. Uh, well, I'd say definitely put it on your list because it's worth seeing. I'm still kind of mad Sweden didn't submit it for the Oscar, even though I do admit they probably should have submitted the square in terms of marketing. Well, yeah, I mean, because that won the Palm Door. Um, but I like this one better. <laughs> because it won the Palm Door, they probably thought it was a shoe in, right? But um, I mean, that's a tough call. I might prefer the square, but I know the square is also so ridiculous ridiculous and out there and shout out to triangle sadness which is also coming out soon um the uh the follow-up film also apparently just as polarizing and disturbing but if you're looking for something a little bit more level-headed and like actually serious and quite direct with what it's trying to do sammy blood's a little bit more coherent i would say yes um i would say it's the kind of film there's some films that cover historical periods or important topics that should not be ignored and this is one of them absolutely i could not agree more with that um yeah so thank you for introducing it to me i can always guarantee that you're going to bring up um 
a film that's either from like a part of the world that doesn't get discussed enough or like a culture or a language that isn't really introduced enough or something historically profound like this. So thank you very much. Yeah. Alrighty. So, uh, we are going to get into our collective assignment now, something a little bit more fun, a little bit more, uh, carefree, uh, kind of, even though it's a Soderbergh film, it was more in the lines of something like charade, I would say, which, uh, was quite interesting. That's out of sight starring George Clooney and arguably Jennifer Lopez's best film. I would say. I'd agree. She's fantastic. Yeah. So what did we think of out of sight? Fun. So much fun clever and fun it's you know it's he's very good at making thrillers that don't talk down to the audience exactly that actually makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. i thought it was i thought it was great so the primary reason i picked this was because this was kind of his big comeback after having five commercial failures after sex lies and videotape and this kind of sets up the dominoes for the rest of his career, not only in terms of his success, but also he kind of settles into like a manner of working and how he composes his films. Like he makes a lot of different stuff, but out of sight can be referenced as like kind of where he finds his like style, I would say. Yeah. Um, and it certainly is a stylish film. I feel like if this was directed by somebody else, like um, I definitely got Tarantino vibe. So let's say Tarantino or Scorsese, it would be a little bit more, kind of like on the edge of your seat gritty. you feel like you're being yeah gritty you're being pulled along but this felt smooth and it had like that that sleek music and it was being a little sexy about it and almost in a comedic way like um a pretty interesting decision it, it felt kind of like a rodriguez or tarantino film but like in the style of soderbergh's uh follow-up film oceans 11 like that remake definitely more suave and with a swagger as opposed to like intense and exciting, but it's still very smart. I also call it polished in the sense of old Hollywood. Like you said before, I wholly believe that this movie is the reason he got hired for oceans. Oh yeah, most likely. Um, and I'm not surprised that it got some awards attention specifically for its editing, which was quite good. And it's screenplay, which was even better. Um, uh, the the only complaint I have is like Jackie Brown, the Michael Keaton character is like barely in either. So it's like, why is this a piece of trivia? The fact that he's playing the same character in both films, there's like zero zero reason to even bring it up. Like he's he's actually in this less than Jackie Brown, I think. And they did get quite the cast, eh? Yeah, including a cameo from Samuel L. Jackson, which, uh, again, adds to the whole Tarantino vibe, I guess. But uh, you got Catherine Keener showing up for, like, only a little bit, and Steve Zahn, and Don Cheadle. Luis Guzman. Yeah, and a lot of people who would wind up being in other Soderbergh projects, like, yeah, Don Cheadle. But one, and I, I'm hoping you both noticed her, one Viola Davis, who's also in yes! Traffic. <laughs> I was watching it, and I'm like... That looks like her, but it's it's not her, right? And then I Google it. Yep, it's Viola Davis. I didn't even realize. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's in the so hotel I, room scene. Yep. Oh. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to cast, he always has good at casting in his movies, but I think he's also one of the best like directors who's great with working with actors. And he's also one of those directors who 
George Clooney has been proven to be pretty divisive in which you either like him, you hate him, or you maybe feel so-so. He's one of the only directors who actually knows how to properly utilize George Clooney. Like, he somehow manages to make him seem like the coolest person on earth in his movies. He's so darn charming, and he's perfect as a sort of criminal, and you'd be like, yes, take all my money, it's fine. Yeah, speaking of which, I have to give a shout-out to that opening, which... um not to discredit the rest of the film because I thought it was quite good, but that opening might have been my favorite part. Like the fact that um, without spoiling too much, he's able to pull off what he can purely through deception without any sort of means or actual power. That's pretty damn impressive. I've got to say. It's just that just, it's so smooth. It's it's just got that charisma. It's like, he's got the pretty boy thing going on, but just the way he talks, it's like he convinces people of anything. Like it doesn't need to be malicious, at least outwardly. Oh yeah. Even if his intentions are devious, he's just like, Oh, it's, it's all good. It's cool. But the, the only other person who's more magnetic and more charming to the point of being the master deceiver of, you know, the deceptor himself is Jennifer Lopez's character, who um, I feel like was fully, believable when it came to her putting on fronts and then swooping in for the attack or or trying to get in trying trying to get in for the kill almost and i don't know i'm kind of now that i've seen this now i've been aware of it for ages why is she not in more stuff like this i've gotta ask yeah it was so against type everybody made a whole big stink about hustlers which is like you know, a really great performance and stuff, but she's also done something similar, you know, like the gritty kind of serious thing before, um, and should have frankly been doing it since. I don't know. Why aren't people casting her for this type of stuff? Yeah. uh, It was the best performance of hers that I've seen. I know she did really well in hustlers, but I just haven't gotten around to that one yet. It's worth a watch. You know what I'm recommending to you? No, it's not going to be hustlers. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, overall, Everybody, everybody liked Out of Sight. Thumbs up. Oh, Out of Sight was great. So the reason I did, I actually, I did this as kind of a trilogy. Like, as I had mentioned before, it was yes. like, I recommend Andreas a Soderbergh film, Rachel a Soderbergh film. We'll all watch one that I, you know, haven't seen. And the main reason is, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious with this show, with my recommendations. I'm just trying to indoctrinate everybody to like my, my favorite directors. But part of the reason is Soderbergh, his name is never in the conversation because of how despite being everywhere, he's so under the radar, but from just like his career and just seeing his movies, I don't usually do like, you know, superlative rankings. This person for me, literally top three directors of all time. Wow. Just because I think what he's able to been able to do with his career, whether people notice or not, because he mentioned he doesn't want to be a brand. So that's why it's like, you never, when people talk about the great directors, they don't talk about him, but it's like, this person has done so much and has done so many things. I mean, just the skills he has, like the fact that he can do everything himself, but the fact, just the way he works, like his, even his weaker films are still more interesting than like, you know, a career best from maybe somebody else that, you know, may not be on that level or maybe at his, at his level. And he takes so many risks. Yes, he does. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the uh, Steven Soderbergh trifecta is complete. Tune in for our recommendations when we give out Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, and Ocean's Eleven. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, no, it's not going to be our, our recommendations. But before we get into the finale of our Cinematic Sport episode, where we uh, you get to listen in and see how we react to being recommended these films, you can stalk us. Rachel, where can our listeners stalk us? 
We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut. Come say hi. We don't bite. Alrighty. So, um, it sounds silly, and I say this every time, but this is almost our favorite part of doing these episodes. We've already watched the uh, the films that we've been recommended. Okay, that's old hat. That's old news. Let's find out what we've got to watch for the month of October. Who wants to find out first? Me. Okay, well, a few months ago, you said you hadn't seen this movie, and I'm hoping it's still true. Ratatouille. I have not seen Ratatouille. Hey! I think it would appeal to you as an artist, because at its heart, it's kind of about creating art, but you'll see what I mean when you see the film. So it's very easily accessible, because it's Disney, and you can find it. A first for the smorgasbord. Wow. I'll I'll say this. um, I always have two separate answers for my favorite Pixar films of all time. Um, One being Wally. I think, objectively, it's like their greatest achievement, but subjectively, Ratatouille just brings a tear to my eye every single time. I think I think you're going to love it. Seriously. Yeah, it's really high quality, even though I'm still mad at Persepolis. But anyway. Oh, but it's Ratatouille, though. I mean, Ratatou- Ratatouille is quite incredible. It's quite moving. All right. So what am I getting? Okay. I don't know if you've seen this. I'm hoping you haven't. Um, it's a certain film by one Martin Scorsese, or Martin Scorsese, but I just had to say that. You know, shout out to Birdman, Zach Galifianakis. Um so, Martin Scorsese, when I discovered this film, I felt like it was the most underrated thing from a major director I had seen in years, and I'm happy that it's, like, the last five years or so it's getting some sort of recognition. I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, especially in a sadistic sense. Oh, I, I think I know what it is. Have you ever watched After Hours? Yes. No, I haven't. Oh, my God. So, this is a brisk hour and a half, pure lunacy Kafka-esque, crazy night in the life of a poor, unfortunate soul. After Hours is, you know, it makes me laugh so hard that I'm in pure agony. And it's just, it's it's almost Bunyelian when it comes to the idea of placing somebody in a perpetual hell for an entire feature film. So, All right. After Hours. That movie's wild. He hasn't made anything since that movie that is like it or anything before it it's one of those rare ones that just it exists on its own oh yeah okay. it's it's a pure riot it's got a pretty stack cast uh griffin dunn is the uh the main character but you've also got rosanna arquette Derry, terry gar Catherine o'hara cheech and chong for, for crying out loud uh scorsese has cheech and chong in a movie um yeah this is this is pure pure hilarity and uh Possibly his most um, backhanded compliment to New York ever, basically, in a way that he frames the city, saying that he loves it. But at the same time, New York's pretty sketch. <laughs> it's pretty sketchy. You don't know what's going to happen in the wee hours of the morning. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. Alrighty, what am I going to watch? Alrighty, so I was trying to think of something that you might find interesting. So I decided to go with The Good Times Kid, directed by Azazel Jacobs. Why does that sound familiar? I think I've mentioned it before. I might have recommended it for a, you know, a random recommendation forever ago. Alrighty. What is what is the, the story behind this one? So the story is about two men, both named Rodolfo Cano. And uh, one of them joins volunteers to join the army, but the other Rodolfo gets the notice in the mail. And so I think if I remember correctly, he actually seeks out the other Rodolfo and uh, encounters the other Rodolfo's girlfriend. And there, this is kind of, it's very much a 
Jim Jarmusch movie that wasn't directed by Jim Jarmusch himself. Like he's literally like, it's like how, you know, how Brian De Palma is like one of the only directors who's actually taken like the Hitchcock influence to like the level of being as good as Hitchcock. This is like the only time where someone's taken on something like a Jim Jarmusch flick and did it just as good as he did. Like it's not, there isn't a whole lot of anything going on, but there's enough going on to keep you constantly interested. This sounds interesting. And this is also, I'm reading into it right now, such a James pick. This film was shot entirely on the remaining footage or the remaining uh, film left over from a larger budgeted film where they basically just toss the rest of the side. That is such a James fact. I, I don't know what I'm in for. This is going to be great. Well, I don't know what we're in for for the collective pick, but I can tell you a bit about it. Okie dokie. Yes. So uh, for our listeners at home, um, None of us have seen the collective pick ever, but we rotate who actually picks it. So this is Rachel's turn. What have you selected for us? So I'm going with the 2008 documentary of Time and the City, and I'm praying that none of you have seen it looking at you, Andreas. Of Time and the City? Mm-hmm. I don't even think I've heard of this. I've never even heard of this. All right. So it's he's the director's Terrence Davies, and he's thinking about his life growing up in Liverpool back in the mid-century, 50s, 60s, and it's put together with documentary and newsreel footage, along with other things like music and commentary. So the reviews for it looked absolutely amazing, and it did the festival circuit, and I think it's going to be quite interesting. I'll tell you, uh, it's not as easy to find as Ratatouille, but uh, I'll advise you guys about that after. (laughs) Ratatouille. Uh, This is the same guy who did Benediction, which I know had a lot of... um festival run had a lot of uh, festival rounds within the last two years so um i'm at least kind of aware of this guy this should be interesting yeah it got absolute raves at con perfect well you know how i feel about that 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 means that it's probably going to be right up my alley fantastic well that's that's our episode and now you if you want to join in on the experiment you know what you're going to be watching you're going to be watching the documentary of time in the city you're going to be watching the uh, somewhat animated documentary of sorts uh ratatouille you're going to be uh, also watching the uh kind of documentary of new york city um after hours and finally, you're going to be watching the um, kind of documentary on the art of filmmaking known as The Good Time Kid, or The Good Times Kid. So, um, that was the K-Cut. Thank you so much for listening. We are now going into the L-Cut. Bye.